I'm not 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Amen. Mm-hmm. 
Sing this song. 
J.M. in the A.M. Well, <laughs> if you only have tuned in for the first 45 minutes of today's show, like if that's your total experience with J.M. in the A.M. over the last how many months, you, you chose the right 45 minutes. That I'll tell you. <laughs> I got into such an Arab Shabbos and into such a uh, Kalbach mood. Oh, my gosh. That was nuts. Listen uh, listen to what we just played. If you missed this, you may want to go back to the archives. I may be in competition with the Arab Shabbos show now with this hour that I put together. Shlomo Kalbach, the whole world is singing the song of Shabbos, Mim Komcha before that, and Hanashamalach. It's very hard for me, those of you who read Mishpacha magazine, you'll see the article this week. It's hard for me to think of Slichas and not think of Rib Shleima. Very, very hard for me. He was such a uh, an inspiration uh, for me to uh, really adjust the slichas as I was uh, davening for the Amud and to uh, do a much more crowd friendly, very similar to what uh, to what uh, Cantor Benny was talking about yesterday, a much simpler crowd friendly slichas. He encouraged me to do it, and it, it's hard for me to enter the slichas season, which for us Ashkenazim begins, you know, Sunday morning tomorrow night. It is hard for uh, for me to go into this season not think of Rib Shleim. But the last time I saw him was Monday of Slichus. I was driving him um, in my car Monday night during Slichus week. I should really look up what the when Rosh Hashanah was that night, uh, that year rather. And um, so I'm driving him. And so this is uh, Slichus, and he passes away in the middle of Cheshvan, so it's six, seven weeks before he passes away. And the conversation was about uh, Slichus, Slichus davening, leading the davening, uh, leading the service of Slichus, and leading the services on the Yomim Noraim, um, on the high holidays. And uh, yeah, he gave me some, I mean, you'll see the article in Mishbacha magazine, Ding wrote it beautifully. He gave me some great suggestions and just the whole attitude of how to approach Slichus was, uh, and the Yom Noraim. Just the whole attitude he had was amazing. We were discussing the, uh, <laughs> oh God, I remember so much of this, it's amazing. So let's see, Rosh Hashanah that year in 1994 was uh, on a Tuesday, yeah. So it must have been on the 29th, so we started Slichus Sunday the 28th of August. Right, yeah. Because Rosh Hashanah was Monday night. Yeah, so we started the 28th. On the 29th of August, a week before Rosh Hashanah, I was driving with him. We had this conversation. In that conversation, he asked a, a question. He he was um, he was troubled by the fact. I've told this on the air before. He was troubled by the fact that toward the end of Yom Kippur, after all of us had made this physical sacrifice of not washing, not eating, not being comfortable, you know, all the things that we do on Yom Kippur and, you know, demonstrating to the one above how badly we want, uh, we want to be forgiven, how badly we want to start with a clean slate, etc., etc. It bothered him that the gates of heaven were closing, that we actually have a service called in the ELO. What does that mean? At the gates of heaven are closed. Just the opposite. After an entire day like this, davening in shul the entire day with great concentration and tremendous intent and the sacrifice physically, why would they close at this time? Just the opposite. They should be more open. So he gave a Hasidic interpretation, which I'll never forget. After all of this, after the physical sacrifice, after the entire day in synagogue, etc., etc., 
the one above is saying to us, come, come inside. Let's close the door behind us and have a private conversation. And that to him was Ni'ila. And that sticks with me. That's 1994. So imagine now, almost 30 years later, that still stays with me. Pretty remarkable. Anyway, that's Kalbach. A Shalshelis with Lechad Odi. I heard Shlomo Simcha, Moshe Aaron, and Lechad Odi. Shema Koleinu with the Mayadidus. And of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Today is the uh, eighth day of September, Friday, the 22nd day in the month of Elul. Tonight is the yard site of those who perished on 9-11. And, of course, members of our community certainly perished on 9-11. Anybody uh, who died on September the 11th of 2001, their yard site is tonight is Shabbos. Uh, oh, you may want to keep that in mind, those out there who are always looking for a reason to to throw a kiddish tonight and tomorrow is the art site of those who perished on 9-11. Candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech. It is a, a double Parsha. Nitzavim and Vayelech is um, 6.57 in New York. 6.57, make sure you know when things start where you are, things are getting earlier and earlier. And of course, Slichas tomorrow night, Sunday morning. We discussed that at length with Cantor Benny yesterday, and I hope no matter where you are tomorrow night uh, that you gain the inspiration to really help kick off the, uh, I don't want to say the um, the uh, tshuva season, because that really began Rosh Chodesh Elul, but I'll say the high holiday season. Uh, I hope, in fact, it's an inspiring time of year for you. And the brand new year sets in a week from tonight, yeah, one week from tonight on Friday night, um, of next week. That's when we begin the year. 5784, please, God. JM in the AM, Friday morning, era of Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline joining us next hour. He is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Harry Rothenberg in hour number two, or by Yudin in hour number three. Ellie Lunzer is going to join us in hour number two this morning, uh, probably about a half hour from now. He is a uh, sports entertainment marketing executive and agent. And he's another one of those guys, another one of those men and women from the group of men and women that continue to tell the world of entertainment and other massive corporations in this country that Shabbos is more important than anything that they could offer. More important than the 24-7 role that a sports entertainment marketing person and agent has. So we'll discuss that with him. I think it'll give us a little bit of a, a boost as we enter the last Shabbos of the year and to remind ourselves how important it is to keep our values at the forefront, to remind our children and grandchildren just how precious a gift Shabbos is. So we'll do that coming up. And, of course, plenty more. 10 o'clock for the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Erev Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour at about uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday. Final JM Sunday of the year. Uh, Salichus morning. So there's a lot happening, and I'm glad you're keeping it here at the Nahum Seagull Network. This is brand new. You're listening to JM in the AM. Ki Eretz Shomecha 
Knows brand new Maishi Menlewitz and Aftali Kempa together here at JM in the AM. A brand new selection as we get into our Slichos season. I know our Sephardic friends are already in Slichos season. We begin tomorrow night, Sunday morning. Rosh Hashanah coming up next week. JM in the AM on a Friday era of Shabbos, final Shabbos of 5783. It's a double parsha. Nitzavim and Vayelach. Uh, don't forget our Chesed page, nachomsegel.com slash Chesed. Or Mayor Bracha is now up there. We spoke to Leora Tedji earlier in the week. If you want to help the Jews of Jerusalem with basic necessities for Yuntif, go to uh, the Or Mayor Bracha website, terror-victims.org.il. Or again, you can check it out, nachomsegel.com slash Chesed. The Ukraine page is officeofchiefrabbi.org slash Nahum, office of chiefrabbi.org slash Nahum. That's the chief rabbi's office in the Ukraine where they are distributing money and basic necessities for Jews for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. If you want to get involved, again, office of chiefrabbi.org slash Nahum. 40th anniversary celebration coming up on Thursday. Very hard to believe, frankly. Uh, it should be a fun show. Mark Zomik's in charge. You know it's going to be a fun show. Uh, we'll hear from a bunch of people. Be a lot. It'll be a great way to kick off our 40th anniversary campaign, our 40th anniversary celebration year. It is just um, and and by the way, this was planned completely unbeknownst to me. I thought we would uh, do some celebrating later in the season, um, during the upcoming season, during the current season, which has started uh, in November, December, maybe later in the year, and. Um, and uh, the amazing people I work with, staff and volunteers, um, they felt that uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah cannot go by without some recognition of the 40th anniversary. So I began JM in the AM, Erev Rosh Hashanah 1983. On Thursday, the day before Erev Rosh Hashanah, we will be together across the street, literally, at Poppy's. Uh, thank you to Yaakov and his staff. They're always so hospitable. And thank you to L.E.Y. Katz also one of the uh, hosts of the uh, of the celebration. It's the 40th anniversary celebration of JM and the AM at Poppy's on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck this coming Thursday, September the 14th, beginning, of course, at 6 p.m. Stop by, enjoy the celebration, and uh, participate. 
hard to believe. The whole thing is hard to believe. But thank God, thank God we've gotten to this point and continue to hopefully inspire people with what we do here on a daily basis. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is coming up in hour number two. Uh, Ellie Lunzer as well in hour number two. We're going to get him on the air. And and both Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin will be speaking to us about this double parsha coming up right here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world of web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, NachumSingle Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Feel free is right. Um, so we'll do our news from Israel. A reminder, our friends at the Bialystoker Synagogue have announced, this is the Bialystoker Synagogue in Lower Manhattan on the Lower East Side. Cantor Joel Kaplan is going to, our amazing friend Cantor Joel Kaplan is going to be leading services at Bialystoker Synagogue. So you know somebody in Lower Manhattan who wants a real shul, a real service, a real chazen, uh, point them to the Bialystoker Synagogue. They can search online and get all the information. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JMM. Galei Tzal, Asha 2, Shalom Rav, Baulpan Eran Kurtim, Mashikor Echshav. בגץ ידון ביום רביעי הקרוב בחלוקת תלושי המזון שקודמו על ידי אריה דרעי. בהרכב ישבו השופטים אוזי פוגלמן, דפנה ברק ארז ויעל וילנר. אמש הקפיא השופט אלכס שטיין את העברת התלושים על סך 400 מיליון שקל עד להכרעה בעתירות בעניין, והדגיש כי לא מדובר בהבעת דעה ביחס למהלך. בתוך כך כתבתנו לענייני משפט אמר שונה ממזכירה כי הממשלה השיבה לבגץ בנוגע לעתירות נגד ביטול עילת הסבירות וטענה התערבות בחוקי יסוד תציב את בית המשפט מעל החוק ותוביל לאנרכיה. חברת הכנסת קארין אלהרר נפצעה באורח קל היום בעת שחצתה את הכביש בכיסא גלגלים. כתבתנו עדה שטייף מוסרת שנהג הרכב עוקב לחקירה, מכוני התנועה של מרחב שפלה בוחנים את נסיבות התאונה. מתגברים הגינויים לדבריו של יושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן בעניין רדיפת היהודים בשואה. ראש עיריית פריז הודיע לעבאס כי היא מגנה בחריפות את דבריו ואת הכחשת השואה ומודיעה על ביטול האות שהוענק לו על ידי עיריית פריז בשנת 2015. מוקדם יותר היום גינה משרד החוץ הבריטי את דבריו של אבו מאזן וכינה אותם אמירות אנטישמיות. הבוקר טען דוברו של אבו מאזן, נביל אבורדנה, כי דבריו של עבאס הוצאו מהקשרם, ומה שפורסם הוא ציטוט ממחקרים היסטוריים וספרים שפרסמו היהודים והאמריקנים. ידיעה שריכזו כתבנו יניר קוזין וג'קי חוגי. בתאם פעולות הממשלה בשטחים הודיע על חידוש יצוא הסחורות מעזה לישראל מיום ראשון הקרוב בבוקר, זאת לאחר שהשבוע מעבר כרם שלום נסגר ליצוא סחורות בשל ניסיון של חמאס להבריח חומרי נפץ מהרצועה. לאחר ניסיון ההברחה, המלצת מתאם פעולות הממשלה בשטחים הייתה לסגור את המעבר ליומיים בלבד, אך ביחידת המעברים של משרד הביטחון הוחלט להמשיך לסגור אותו עד סוף השבוע כדי לבצע במעבר מספר התאמות ביטחוניות. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. כדורסן מחצי גמר אליפות העולם, נבחרת סרביה העפילה לגמר לאחר שגברה 95-86 על נבחרת קנדה. בוגדן בוגדנוביץ' הצטיין עם 23 נקודות. 
כתב חדשות הספורט בר פלג מוסיף שהסרבים העפילו לגמר לראשונה מאז 2014, אז ארצות הברית זכתה בטורניר. הם יפגשו בגמר את המנצחת בין ארצות הברית לגרמניה במשחק שיארך היום בשלוש וארבעים. מזג האוויר שרבי, עומסי חום כבדים עד קיצוניים שוררים בשעה זו ברוב אזורי הארץ. לידיעת משתמשי הרכבת, שיבושים בתנועת הרכבות באזור תל אביב בעקבות אדם שהתפרץ למסילה בתחנת רכבת ההגנה. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו גל ג'רסי. אלה החדשות.
דרור יקרא לבן עם בת, וימצא חן כמו בבת. נעים שמכם ולא יושבת, שבו נוחו ביום שבת. דרוש נביא ואולמי, באות ישע עשה עמי. נטע שורג בתוך כרמי, שאשב עד בני עמי. וגם בבל אשר גברה, ותוצר היי באף עברה, שמע קולי ביום אקרא. אלוקים תן במדברר, עד השיטה בראש תדר. ולמזיר ולניזר, שלומים תן כמי נהר.
J.M. and the A.M., sorry about that. That was my fault. <laughs> that was my fault as we were uh, preparing for Harry Rothenberg to address us. And I apologize for that. Anyway, I uh, interrupted that uh, Shuvue lie done by uh, Yitzi Ackerman, brand new. Mutti Weiss had the brand new Draw Ye Kra. Gershon Braun with the brand new song Elul here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. A pleasure to have you aboard. This coming Thursday, our 40th anniversary celebration. More about that as we get closer and closer. And I thank you for joining us on this Erev Shabbos. Ellie Lunzer joins us in a couple of minutes here at JM in the AM. Friday morning with candle lighting at 657 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are for Parshas Nitzavim. And Vayelach. Harry Rothenberg's words are in honor of Rafua Shlema for Ruchama Chana Eto Baschava. Ruchama Chana Eto Baschava. Please keep her in mind. Ruchama Chana Eto Baschava. Harry Rothenberg on Itzavim Vayelach here at JM in the AM. I'm at a wedding, so I figured I would share the nice view with you. This week we have a double Parsha. Itzavim Vayelach. Interesting two words to put together with the title of the Parsha. Why? Because Nitzavim refers to standing. Vayelef refers to moving, walking, going. And that's the choice that we all have to make this time of year as we get closer to the high holidays. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Do we want to stand, pat, stay still with respect to our spirituality and our relationship to God? Or do we want to move? Do we want to grow? Then you might say, well, of course I want to grow, but how do I even begin? So here's an idea. There's a very interesting law discussed in the Talmud. If a man marries a woman on a condition, the condition is not fulfilled, the marriage is void. But if a man marries a woman on the condition that he is exotic, that he's righteous, and it turns out that he is a Russia gummer, completely, thoroughly wicked, whatever that means, he pulls the wings off of flies. He intentionally parks on the line, taking up two spots. He roots to the Dallas Cowboys, whatever it is. The marriage still goes through. It's not voided. Why? Because maybe he had thoughts of teshuva, thoughts of repentance. One commentator asks the following question. Suppose you have two witnesses watching a wedding ceremony who are required in order to formalize the wedding. And both of these witnesses are not fit to be witnesses. They committed some sin and they're not fit. The marriage does not go through. It's voided. But why don't we say one second? Maybe the marriage should go through because maybe those two witnesses had thoughts of repentance. Here's the difference. The witnesses never said a word, whereas that other guy who married the woman on a condition said the words on the condition that I'm at Sadiq, on the condition that I'm righteous. So we think maybe the mere fact that he said those words, even though he wasn't righteous, may have caused him to stop and think thoughts of repentance. So if you're planning to get ready and you want to get ready for the high holidays, say it. Say, I want to move. I am not satisfied anymore with where I am. I don't want to stand put. I want to grow in my spirituality. I want to come closer to God. Say the words, and hopefully those words will propel you to have the right thoughts of repentance. And good luck to you, and good luck to all of us in the coming days. 
Everyone up, let's go, everyone up, everyone stand up together. Amen. 
Getting ready for a Slichus. Getting ready for Slichus on oh, the way that... Uh, the way that um, Eitan Katz gets us ready for Slichus here at the JM in the AM. Well, one of the things we love doing here at JM in the AM is featuring people who have uh, basically declared uh, to the largest and most influential industries in the country and the world that Shabbos and living a life of our values is more important than what they have to offer. That's uh, a theme that we've had for many, many years, decades at this point here at JM and the AM. And Ellie Lunzer, uh, who's been with us before, uh, can speak to this because of the unique and interesting perspective he has about keeping things in perspective uh, with the industry that he hangs out in and with the people that he hangs out with. Ellie Lunzer is a sports and entertainment marketing executive and agent, and he is with us via telephone here at JM and the AM. Ellie, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, first of all, you got to differentiate for those of us really not familiar with the you know how it works. Uh, sports entertainment, marketing, agent. I mean, to some people, all these things are the same thing, but I'm sure to people like yourself, each one has its own distinct type of work. How would you separate uh, these titles and the uh, and the way that celebrities and sports uh, athletes interact with those who they work with? Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of, uh, of what we do um, at our agency, and in the sports marketing space, we, you know, first and foremost, we represent professional athletes, teams, leagues, and, and properties, events that happen surrounding the larger scale sporting events, whether it's Super Bowl, Masters, U.S. Open, Grammys, um, and those types of, of cultural events. Um, and from the agency side, we, we book talent and we book both, uh, you know, entertainment talent, whether it's musicians or it's professional athletes in the sports side for all sorts of appearances, marketing deals, collaborations, um, and really, you know, super creative um, opportunities in the business space um, over the last couple of years. Oh, so all this can coexist in, in one firm, even from one person. If, uh, if someone wants to take on all these responsibilities, managing somebody, being the agent for somebody, doing the marketing, as you describe, etc., one or one's firm could do all that. It's just, I guess some people gravitate toward one category more than others, right? Yeah. I mean, it's essentially that, you know, a lot of the work is, is connected, whether we're booking, um, a, a talent for, an endorsement deal or a performance or a meet and greet, um, or an endorsement. Um, you know, those, those different elements of the sports world and entertainment space kind of coincide together. But, you know, again, um, there are instances and in, in other firms that concentrate specifically only on booking talent or only on creating marketing deals, uh, for, for those folks. Um, and you know, everyone does as well. All right, you know why you're on this morning. We have this habit here of lauding those who who tell the world of entertainment, which is such a powerful force in this country and the entire world, uh, that their values uh, when it comes to, to Shabbos, when it comes to Orthodox observance, when it comes to Jewish ritual, is even more important than all the things that they have to offer. And I'm sure some of them find that very hard to believe, but we, thank God, are able to keep that perspective. First of all, just to lay the groundwork, I'm assuming that anybody you work with assumes that you're available 
24 hours a day and seven days a week. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the norm in my business. And they can assume that and they should assume that up until I tell them otherwise, um, which, which pretty much happens, um, you know, on, on a regular basis. Um, but you know, thank God we've been pretty successful over the years in, in figuring out how to manage, um, business and opportunities that come about on Shabbat. Is there a story, an anecdote, something in your career, Ellie Lunzer, that, exhibits what we're talking about where you literally had to inform someone, I don't know, minutes before Shabbos or even further in advance than that, that you wouldn't be able to attend something or to be somewhere. Or you'd have to make alternate plans for someone else to take care of things. Is there anything where you shocked one of your clients with this revelation? Um, it's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know necessarily whether there was a shock uh, to some of the clients that we worked with or some of the events that we worked with that um, either had to be done on Friday night or Shabbos. Um, but more so it's, it's a lot more of saying no to events that we can't uh, execute, you know, in a hundred percent fashion right. um, that has to happen on a Friday night or a Shabbos. Um, that being said, there are, you know, are a lot of events that can happen without myself and um, you know, some of the orthodox, uh, colleagues that, that I have, um, to, to execute. Um, and, and we manage, you yeah. know, we get, we get through it and, you know, you put your trust in, in, into our partners and make sure everything, uh, you know, runs as smoothly as possible. There's a lot more, uh, due diligence and preparation for events that have to happen on Shabbos where we can't be there. Um, but a lot of times, um, you know, the answer is, is no, right. And, and, you know, we just have to, take the next event. Yeah, I figured there's a lot of people you have to lean on, uh, especially in these types of, uh, you know, difficult situations. And, um, and and that leads to my final point, which is, you know, again, why we consider you and others like you um, uh, heroic, or maybe I'll say somewhat heroic, because sometimes people like yourself are, <laughs> are too, too embarrassed and sensitive to being called a hero. Uh, but the reality is when Shabbos starts and you've had this craziness of 24 hours a day, for six consecutive days. When Shabbos begins, I have to imagine, uh, knowing your background, that you have a certain relief, uh, a certain uh, thanks to the one above of really appreciating this gift that hopefully none of us take for granted. And, uh, and you know, going into the observance of a Shabbos with really a, an extra oomph than some of us, uh, you know, other people may not have because we don't have this transition or this, uh, you know, difference um, that you are experiencing between the regular week and Shabbos. What is it like when Shabbos begins? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and, and, and a great point. And I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's, not, it's a blessing to have Shabbos, especially for me in my life in general, but more specifically in the work that we do on a daily basis and correct, you know, uh, many of the events that we work on are events and that means all working all day and all night to execute what uh you know what we've been planning for weeks and months prior so you know right now we're in the middle of both u.s open and fashion week and working you know 24 7 for the last 
or 24 six, obviously for that matter. Um, the last, the last, last two weeks, right tonight when Shabbos comes in, you know, there's nothing I need to do or think about other than, you know, Shabbos family, friends, um, et cetera. And, you know, all the events that are happening Friday and Shabbos and the athletes that we have in the U S open, they're playing or they're attending or the brands that we're working with. Um, there's really nothing we can do, um, which is, it's kind of relieving. Do you, do you share this with any of your clients? In other words, there's some people who, you know, that as, as you said, you hand things off to other people and you're simply not available, but others make a point to tell the people that they're working with, including celebrities that, you know, I, I, I wish I could be with you or help you, you know, during this period of time, but it's, you know, th- this is my Sabbath. This is a time for my, me and my family and, uh, you know, and, and between me and the one above. I mean, have you had that discussion with any of them and have they appreciated um, you know, this spiritual outlook that you're bringing to them? Yeah, I actually have, um, on a regular basis with, um, a lot of the folks. And, and again, I would say a majority of them are a little bit envious of the fact that I can't use my phone, uh, <laughs> for those 25 hours. Uh, the fact that I don't need to show up to every single event and I get to be with, you know, family and friends. It's pretty amazing. You know, they, they actually understand it. They do understand it. You know, when you're a professional athlete, you have your rituals, your way of life, the way you wake up and you work out and you watch film and your diet, et cetera. So from that perspective, they definitely understand what it means, you know, to keep Shabbos and to keep kosher. Um, I don't necessarily know whether they would like to try it or do it. And, you know, whether they want to, that's great. Um, but, but, but they do understand. Well, I love the fact that people like you are declaring on a regular basis, like you just described, not, not in an, in your face manner, but just as, you know, uh, casually and directly, uh, that Shabbos and our way of life and our values is more important than anything that they or anybody else has to offer. Uh, I take this opportunity to wish you continued Hatzlacha. Hey, it's Erev Shabbos. You gave us a big boost here as we go into Shabbos and into the brand new year. And I thank you for that. And I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. Thank you. Thank you to you. And thank you to uh, all the great work that you do for Jewish people. I appreciate that very much. Ellie Lunzer, everybody, sports and entertainment marketing executive and agent as well. And somebody who, again, as you heard, uh, has no problem declaring to the world, in fact, a portion of the world that feels they own the world. I'll, that's my statement, <laughs> uh, that uh, our values and uh, our tradition is more important than anything they have to offer. More coming up Friday morning, JM in the AM.
Jam in the Am with Miami. Anna McCoach is the name of that one. It is a Friday morning broadcast. JM in the AM, thanks for joining us. Don't forget our Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That is happening at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by Kedem all day long. Final hour at about 6 p.m. brought to you by our friends at Kedem coming up. Uh, tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami and with uh, Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matis and JM Sunday, our final JM Sunday of the year. Thursday is our big 40th anniversary celebration at Poppy's on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. That's where we'll be doing the show from Thursday of next week. Big thank you to Mark Matis, the entire staff, and of course to Ellie Y. Katz, one of the hosts of the event. Um, this was planned completely unbeknownst to me, and I'm so grateful. And we get to celebrate 40 years together Thursday morning next week right here. At JM in the AM. How about an LL chauffeur blowing at JM in the AM?
Rachamana words from Slichus as we in the Ashkenazi community get set to start tomorrow night and Sunday morning with Slichus for this year. Our Sephardic friends, of course, are deep into Slichus already. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 6.57, double Parsha, Nitzavim and Vayelech, Nitzavim and Vayelech, final Shabbos of the year, 5783, as hard as that is to believe. It is hard to believe, actually. Also hard to believe that we're about to celebrate our 40th anniversary, JM and the AM. Uh, I started at WFMU Radio, um, Erev Rosh Hashanah, 1983. This Thursday, we're going to be celebrating and including a whole bunch of people. Uh, regular time, 6 to 9 a.m. We're, we're not doing one of these all-day affairs. It's 6 to 9 a.m. Got to thank uh, Mark and Matis and uh, L.E.Y. Katz and everybody who's hosting the event uh, here in Teaneck, New Jersey, on West Englewood Avenue at Poppy's. A big thank you. Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you're looking for uh, thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos, you could learn even more about Israel and the Jewish world, uh, go to jewishworldreview.com, print away, read away, become more informed, and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Our final weekly update of the year. Some might argue it's time to reminisce. Some may argue it's time to reflect. And I want to ask you the following, as much as we have to talk about current events, and I know that they're very important. Uh, it was this week, 30 years ago, if I, if I recall correctly, you were actually at the White House when the Oslo Accords were signed, and you were very friendly, and again, if I'm saying anything inaccurate, correct me, you were very friendly with uh, those who were the architects of the Oslo Accords, and at the same time, you were very friendly with people who were at the opponents of the Oslo Accords. Um, I mean, rightfully so. That's the type of position you had and continue to have. Uh, what were your thoughts? What were your what was your thinking? What was going through your mind as those accords were being signed thirty years ago? Frankly, I watched Rabin's face and his distaste for and reluctance to shake hands with Arafat, and I had spoken to him. In fact, you know, we were the first people, the chairman of the conference and I, were asked to come to Israel that the morning Paris came back, and we were the first people, even before their staffs, to be briefed on the Oslo Accords. And I asked many questions. I raised many objections. Um, and at the end, when I, we met first with Perez and then separately with Rabin, because they didn't talk to each other too much. And uh, Rabin in the end said to me, every question you asked me was right and your concerns are right. So let me ask you a question. And they went on to describe what the Israel's challenges facing Syria, Iraq, Iran, and the Palestinian challenges on the security front. And he said, Palestinians and Syria are not existential threats. Iran and Iraq are. And he said, I can't fight all four at the same time. So if we can eliminate some of them from the, the equation, that will put us in a very different position to be able to defend Israel. I said, since the Prime Minister is the only argument I've heard that makes any sense to me. Right. But uh, but the patience with which he, he addressed it, because you could see his own concerns. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't the architect of it. And and I have to say, at that day, it I found it very difficult sitting there, and especially with Arafat, with whom I refused to shake hands at the event. They had a, a line, and I will tell you something, that uh, Arafat complained to the Secretary of State that I refused to meet with him. He complained to the Israelis. 
And I went to Rabin and I said, listen, if you tell me that's important for Israel, I will consider it, but I can't shake hands with him. He said to me, he's the most disgusting person I ever met. And he said, he approached, he came to me also about it. And I'm telling you, don't do it. I'll tell you if it's necessary, but don't do it otherwise. And at the signing ceremony, he pulled me in on the receiving line and he said, not yet, even at that moment. So that was my reflections on that uh, occasion. The, uh, I mean, there are plenty of uh, analysts, and, and I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but just I'm tossing it out there so people will understand you know, my line of thinking here. I mean, there's a legitimate argument about the peace treaty with Egypt. You know, Camp David Accords, I mean, I understand the, uh, you know, the, the giving away land uh, was, you know, uh, objected to by many. Many felt the agreement could be made without that type of concession. But for argument's sake, you know, what it did in terms of security of Israel, it's, there's at least a discussion there. Can you look back 30 years later and say there's a discussion there? that things could have been worse or things could have been, you know, altered in a way that, um, uh, that uh, you know, would have made conditions worse for our brothers and sisters in Israel, if not for the Oslo Accords? Make, everybody's making those cases. Read all of the post-mortems then and now. People make every case uh, you want. But l- let's look at who we're dealing with. Look at Abbas's comments just in the last week. He knows who, who, who our, our partner is supposed to be. And the fact that the world is silent in the face of him saying that they, they say that Hitler killed the Jews for being Jews and that Europe hated Jews because they were Jews, he said it's not true. They fought against these people because their the role in society, which had to do with usury, you know, taking interest, money, and so on. And even Hitler said, this is him saying this, that he fought the Jews because of these things. This was not about anti-Semitism. And, and it goes on to say that the U.S. was a partner in the Balfour Declaration who invented the Jewish state with Britain and America. This is who we're, we're supposed to negotiate with. This is who's sitting there leveraging the, the, the discussions with Saudi Arabia right. to, to, uh, to take advantage and wants hundreds of millions of dollars and all sorts of additional concessions. And look what they're doing, the disrespect that if Israel did anything like it, you would have had the United Nations, everybody, where they're building on Joshua's altars, on the ruins of a place mentioned in Tanakh. And an inspector who went there discovered that they started paving the roads for 32 housing units on the ruins of this historic state, which is in both in Yoshua and in the uh, Barim. Uh, the site, which is right near Shechem, is Area B, which is falls under their administrative control, but joint PA-Israel security control. And yet, they, despite the protests and everything, they are going ahead with it. No respect for our history and tradition. And uh, when it comes to their demands, as you described, they have the world behind them, that if they make something up, they make it up. Forget about whether it's, uh, there's an ounce of truth to it. If they make something up, uh, they get the world and the United Nations to go along with them. So that's uh, part of our reminiscing and uh, recollecting from September of 1993 and the Oslo Accords. And by the way, we should mention that the uh, the Paris mayor rescinded the, the medal that was given to Abbas in light of the comments this week. And we don't always see pro-Israel gestures uh, coming from Paris, coming from France. So that was that was good to see, right? It was good to see. I would like to see more things done by the United States. I mean, they, they condemned the comments the different American officials, but there, should, there has to be something concrete because it's reflective 
of what we're dealing with. The Fatah party brags about the fact that their security officers are are involved in the terrorist activities. And they said that they have uh, more than 350 of our prisoners are from the PA security forces. In other words, they're PA employees who were involved in terrorist attacks. And remember, a lot of this was funded and trained by Western donors. So they have to start not just rescinding medals, but they have to start rescinding the aid and stuff and hold them to account. It's, it, and it's an interest in the Palestinians themselves who reject this government. And yet we continue to kowtow to them. Uh, do you think the timing is interesting, uh, era of the UN uh, General Assembly, or he could have said this at any time? No, he, he has said this all along. And, you know, he has a history in this regard with his doctoral thesis and, and uh, whatever. But, you know, Germany blasted him, a few others did, but not, not outcry, you know, that when an Israeli makes a comment, and, you know, right away they come down on the extremist right wing and the most extreme government ever, et cetera, et cetera. And yet when he says these outrageous things, let alone the actions that continue and the the um, the explosives that are being smuggled in and the, uh, you know, men and women now trying to stab people and carry out these attacks, you know, the, the Performa uh, condemnations are not sufficient. Oh, on the subject of anti-Semitism and uh, the debate about Jew hatred, what do you make of the Elon Musk ADL exchange this week? I mean, give me your analysis uh, of these uh, lawsuits, public statements uh, that he and the organization made, um, you know, publicly uh, during this week. So, you know, this started as soon as he, when he was um, buying uh, uh, now X, for Twitter, which has been a vehicle for for, uh, people to express the most anti-Semitic views. And a small minority of the sites actually get taken down or pursued. And from the very beginning, he started, he made comments and ADL uh, did um, cause some advertisers and others, they he he claims, to uh, withdraw funding, their support. And he claims a huge amount of damage and the amount of money that it cost them. Wow. This is, but, but what's very important to understand is this in the larger context, and it's something I'm working very much on together with the, the people at NCRI and elsewhere about how the internet has become a modern day vehicle for the open expression of Jew hatred in its most vile forms, including threats against Jews. And it is an overwhelming challenge of our time because, you know, Hitler took months, maybe longer to spread the big lie. Today, it's done in nanoseconds. Yep. And the number of incidents and the, the virulence and the, you know, we had a, they did a study of 100 million tweets between 20 and 22, which was presented to the Knesset, the findings, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's so overwhelming. And you see that Israel is attacked 55 times more than Russia you know, dozens of times more than Iran or China or human rights grounds alone, let alone on everything else. And yet you don't see the kind of outcry and the condemnations uh, that they're afraid of him. And now the ADL is caught and locked in a battle with uh, with them over his, and he's threatening them with lawsuits, they're threatening him with lawsuits. Right. The fact is it's reflective of a cancerous event in our society with, and there are no controls or limited controls 
over what happens on the internet. All right, but a couple of issues here. First of all, and obviously you have a good relationship with all the major organizations. I'm not looking for you to bash anybody. But one of the things that I'm concerned about is when a group like the ADL takes on a free speech issue. I understand we don't want any Jew bashing or anti-Semitic comments anywhere, certainly not in the you know viral environment of social media. I get it. But also when, when, when Jews come to the forefront of a movement that sort of calls for censorship in certain ways, that gets me very nervous. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, a lot of things make me nervous. And I think, though, that there has to be a red line somewhere about some of the anti-Semitic stuff that is allowed to be expressed and continues to be expressed, sometimes even by columnists in the New York Times, uh, where, and, and for those who didn't see Richie Torres's response, Congressman Torres's response yeah. to Peter Beinhardt and the criticisms of Tom Friedman's screed against Israel. He had become so marginalized and irrelevant in recent years, and now he found a new yep. result when he can go and attack Israel. Because he, caught, mean, yeah. he caught up to the New York Times, frankly. Now now they now, now they love featuring him even more. I, 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 well, they will, but I think, he, you know, this is the views he always had, and he's trying to still justify his uh, failed efforts with the Saudi claim years ago, and right. uh, I guess because people, quote, didn't listen to him, quote, they, they you know, he's going to continue to punish them. But the, the nature of his comments, you can criticize Israel and you can criticize policies of Israel. That's not what this is. And to tell them that the Saudis shouldn't allow and U.S. let Netanyahu make them useful idiots, I mean, just undermines every fundamental of the relationship and impacts directly the security of the state of Israel. And I think the, so they, you know, the sensitivity to censorship is always something Jews are concerned about. On the other hand, there has to be a limit. We know what goes, what happens when it's allowed to go unfettered. And it is unfettered today. Young people today are being influenced by what's being said, whether it's rappers or commentators or some of these extremists of left and right. Or, or, uh, uneducated, or uneducated people who get a massive uh, following. Yes, people who are not, who, and who know very little. Yeah, exactly. Especially if somebody can put together two sentences, make them rhyme, and they become major influencers. And what we don't know, but at least I didn't, is the scope of influence that a lot of these quote influencers, the term they use, they can have 20, 30, 40 million followers yep. who will be devoted to them. And we don't even understand the power. And when they start expressing these horrific views, the impact that it has on the next generation and why we see it expressed on our campuses and the foreign powers that are behind it and the foreign money, which we're only beginning to scratch the surface to understand how vast it is. Look, we discussed this, uh, you know, during the Union Square riot a few uh, Fridays ago. I mean, are, are you worried? And I know everything worries you. I get that. But are you worried as compared to prior eras that it's just too overwhelming that the number of tweets and the amount of social media and so much falsehood out there on issues like this, that it's, it's gotten it continues to be so viral and, and, you know, that it's it's almost impossible to contain. Are you worried that even with the regulations and the red lines and everything that you're working on to negotiate with people like Elon Musk and others, you know, who run all this social media in this country and the world, is it is it possible it's so overwhelming there's no way to get it back? It is a, a major challenge. Nothing is beyond us if we have a unified approach, if the Congress and the administration do what they have to do, if foreign governments do what they have to do, within the bounds of free speech, 
and to to hold to account those who, who engage in it and those who support them. And when we find out that there are foundations or foreign uh, governments or organizations that are behind a lot of these sites and a lot of the hatred that is being uh, uh, spewed forward, you know, I, I mean, we see the United States getting involved in internal affairs in Israel, including the who has a certain museum in Israel. It's just, just uh, unbelievable to me that they that that they get involved with. Mm. But there are major issues where we're not seeing the international community expressing themselves. And what other museum in the world do they does rises to that occasion that they that they start getting involved in the um, in the choice of and and for the reasons that they didn't even explore. Um, and whether it's right or wrong is, is secondary to the principle of this. What a great and, point. What a, I never even thought of that. What a great point. It's outrageous that they'd interfere in something like that. It's outra- I, I, don't, I didn't realize the outrage until you just pointed it out. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard a listener sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web and AlchemSingle.com on the AlchemSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. One week from today, our final weekly update of the year on Erev Rosh Hashanah. This coming Thursday, our 40th anniversary celebration between 6 and 9 a.m. from Teaneck at Poppy's here at JMDM. Malcolm Holmline is with us, of course, live via telephone. What do you think of the nomination of Jack Lew as ambassador to Israel? Well, it's a, it's an interesting choice. It's an Orthodox Jew getting the position the second time that ambassador to Israel is an Orthodox Jew. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues that have to be, uh, that are being addressed in terms of some of Spence's comments, his involvement in the Iran issue of the JCPOA during the uh, Obama administration and his current involvement in an organization that they try to portray as being um, yeah, an advocate at, for closer ties with China, which right now is a very sensitive subject. So I think there are a lot of things that have been discussed, but his competence and his uh, um, intelligence and stuff that are certainly well known and recognized, uh, and I'm sure his personal commitment uh, as well. But you know, we'll have to see. I think it's going to take a long time in terms of the uh, confirmation, probably not before the end of the year, December probably, uh, which means that uh, depending upon the outcome of the next election, he could be there for a year, could be there for less. Uh, there were a lot of people who thought that they wouldn't nominate anybody in the interim until you know they have the outcome and see what uh, what will be. But uh, I guess they either have confidence or willing to take a chance on it. Do you think so his we'll attitude? What the outcome? Do you think his attitude toward the JCPOA is Obama-like, or you're not sure? He did support the uh, right, but sometimes, but sometimes a different administration might bring you know a, a different attitude, or is, is he simply going to reflect what the president's? Uh, um, uh, endorsing, and, and we should expect that he would support it again. Well, I don't think he's expressed in, on the current thing because he, you know he's in his private life now. Right. Um, but and he, he, as any administration and any ambassador, reflects what the president says. I mean, they obviously put their own tone on it and how they talk to the public. Uh, you know, as somebody who cares about Israel, is not going to go down the, the track that some did, where they became the super critics of Israel. Um, so let's see what happens with the hearings and the, the and, nomination. And this is a legitimate question, but you might think it's not. this is not the proper forum for it, but I'm just wondering if there are times when you say to yourself, it might be better to have someone who's not of the Jewish faith be U.S. ambassador to Israel. I think it depends on the person, not the, 
not on uh, having somebody who's Jewish. It should be no different than an Irish person getting assigned to Ireland or a Catholic to the Vatican or to Italy, which is generally in the practice. Uh, I don't think that that's the criteria. It's it's the views. I mean, David Friedman was Jewish, I think, and uh, <laughs> according to according, according to reports, right? And um, and still is, by the way, based on our research. And, and despite right, despite <laughs> him not being ambassador, remained Jewish. <laughs> and um, and Tom Nice was Jewish also, you know. Right, yeah. The, it, once he's nominated or once he's approved, he'll be the third Jew in a row to hold the, a fourth Jew in a row to hold the post. Right, Shapiro was the first of three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right, Dan Shapiro also. I don't know how to. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Aridians? I, I, I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. I didn't even know where where what country. Uh, these migrants were from, but the major riot last Shabbos in Tel Aviv. Now, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu um, uh, pondering a decision about what to do in terms of keeping uh, this uh, ethnic group in Israel or not. Could you give us some background here and just explain this whole situation? Yes, this is Eritrean, and they come from Eritrea, which is why they're called Eritrean. Where where is that? (laughs) Where is that? Africa, 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 near Somalia, near Ethiopia. Wow. Uh, they, and they, they've had these long-standing wars between them. Eritrea and Ethiopia had a very vicious long-term fight. So Eritrea um, is actually strategically important, uh, but because it has a pressure regime and the economic conditions, they have migrants all over the world. What is interesting is that here in Israel, that this case in Israel, uh, where there was going to be a celebration at the embassy of Eritrea, a cultural event, they're taking place all over the world. And all over the world, there were riots against them or demonstrations against them. The only thing is that it's only Israel that gets uh, focused on and reported, maybe because the press has access there that they don't get in other countries. Wow. Or because they don't care. Because this is an eternal conflict between the pro and anti government forces and a lot of the immigrants who left the country. Now, the question is the people who are pro government. How do they qualify as refugees, as political refugees, if they're supporters of the government and pro-government forces? But that's the society question. Here, I mean, it's a legitimate thing to think about. There, they're uh, uh, they're really economic refugees, not political refugees, right. and they seek asylum because they face persecution. But here, they are demonstrating for the government or on the side of the government, and then you had a much larger number who were against it. Uh, I don't know why the police who were alerted to this uh, potential, uh, whether they were sufficiently prepared or not is unclear. But the, the, the these things, these demonstrations take place all over the world whenever they have the, when they have this annual uh, cultural, they call it festival. But obviously the, the opponents see it as a uh, government trying to whitewash their record and, and uh, uh, therefore they, they use this as an opportunity to demonstrate and they got out of hand. And Netanyahu spoke about uh, deporting those who, who engaged in violence to get 30 policemen put in the hospital or were injured. Uh, it's not tolerable. The situation in South Tel Aviv all along has been very tense because of it. Uh, there are 18,000 in Israel, mm. uh, which for a little country is a lot of people. So on the migrant side of the issue, it, what an irony that the United States is going through what we're going through over here and, you know, and watching, you know, policies from Washington uh, really alter many cities and uh, many activities throughout the entire country. And now, as Netanyahu, uh, you know, surmised, 
um, you know, he may have to crack down and uh, and deal with their own migrant issue because of the upheaval that might cause or has already caused in Israel. Certain irony to that, no? There's an irony, but, you know, there's a massive movement of populations. We don't think about it because their first target is Europe. But look how many cities in Europe have changed and their security situation, their demographics. And think of the long-term implications because most of these are young people who will have a high birth rate and they're living in communities which have no birth rate or very low ones, certainly not even replacement. And this will change the... um, the nature of, of a lot of uh, European societies, and uh, we're seeing it here too with the, the mass migration of people, um, and with many of them, I mean, there are legitimate refugees who should be welcomed and should who are escaping. But but when we think about um, the fact that that many are coming from countries, uh, including uh, Iran and elsewhere, that are all sorts of reports which I've not substantiated. I can't obviously, but Right. The reports that the Chinese have sent in many people into the country, others have. Um, and again, legitimate refugees, I think we have to be sympathetic to and, and right. understand. But we can't just welcome and open, throw open the doors to illegal uh, aliens who are not right. coming, by the way, now from South America. Right. Most yeah, I can't imagine that uh, Netanyahu wouldn't agree with you on that issue as an overall analysis. Uh, tell, speaking of Netanyahu, tell me about the uh, phone call, Netanyahu and uh, Zelensky. Is there, in fact, an effort to repair a frayed relationship right now? There is, and it's in the interest of both countries to, to have that and to, for them to talk. Uh, don't forget, we also have a Jewish community in, in right. uh, the Ukraine. And a, and and a larger Jewish community bomb. next weekend in the Ukraine. <laughs> right. So that, that was the immediate concern. Um, you know, Zelensky has made a lot of comments and demands on Israel, criticizing Israel for not come, doing enough when, in fact, Israel has done far more than most other countries in the world. And certainly with the burdens that Israel faces, um, have been supportive and they're giving him defensive uh, equipment. They can't give him offensive uh, missiles. For one thing, they can't even operate them and it will take a long time. And it's not, uh, Iron Dome is not appropriate for the challenges they face. But the, the uh, but they've given them defensive uh, equipment. They've done humanitarian aid. They did the uh, field hospital and many other things. And yet, uh, whatever they did was were subject still to more criticism, more demands and pressure. Well, it's never enough, you know. You know what the West is giving? The West is giving billions and billions of dollars on a weekly basis. What Israel's doing is, of course, not enough. And well, yeah, some of the some of the West is giving billions of dollars, and the, the now, another uh, billion just went when Blink when yeah, Blinken was another, there. This time, he gave five hundred million in military in the balance in humanitarian. Right. Uh, but also Israel has taken in thousands and thousands of refugees from Ukraine, Jews and non-Jews, uh, have come to Israel. Uh, and so I think that the, the discussion was important because you have the immediate deadline of, and you can't dissuade the people from going to uh, to Oman for, for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Right. So they got to do the maximum to make sure that they're going to be safe. All right. Tell me now about the other interesting pairing this week, uh, maybe even more interesting, Putin and Erdogan. So, you know, it's a marriage of convenience and necessity for both. Both are facing immense challenges. Erdogan, whom I will meet with in a short while when he comes to New York for the UN, um, Session is facing tremendous internal pressures. The economic conditions in the country are terrible. 
their currency is devalued by a half or more. The the, um, the challenges he faces, and also you have, you know, the fights over the shipping uh, of grain, which Turkey actually challenged the Russian blockade uh, with one of its ships, and the the there are a whole slew of issues of, of concerns, and we're seeing all of these shifting alliances now, which would be the subject of a, of a whole morning of yours about what's happening because of the BRICS and the invitation to countries. And by the way, Saudi Arabia did not yet accept membership in the UAE. They uh, said that they were honored by the invitation or whatever, but they didn't accept Iran, of course, accepted right away. But you see the growth of that, the Shanghai Council, the, the, the attempts at de-dollarization, the uh, so many things are, are, are going on where you see the shifting sands and people are hedging their bets in part, they say, because they're, they're, they, they can't count on the West and even the United States and that uh, the events in the Gulf that we've discussed over a long time uh, were evidence of that. So you have a, a lot of shifting things and, and they're driven because of their situations. Obviously, Putin's internal situation is bad. Economic conditions and pressures are bad. The war is draining on them. And, and uh, now there's a coalescence between Iran, China, and Russia working together, doing naval exercises and other things. And I think Turkey looks at this and wants to protect its own interests in, in this regard, in, in the region. So there are a lot of forces, and there's only some of the, the, the surface ones that are driving uh, these considerations and trying to come up with pragmatic solutions that are just really, in most cases, are Band-Aids over more fundamental problems. If joining BRICS can be viewed as a slap in the face of the United States, I mean, doesn't this show, I mean, Iran obviously doesn't care. They'll slap the U.S. as much as they can. And the UAE, obviously, you know, both from an economic point of view and I think from a governmental point of view, diplomatic point of view, they're in a pretty strong position. So, you know, they probably don't care what the U.S. reaction is. But the Saudis can't possibly consider it as the U.S. is shuttling back, you know, shuttling dignitaries back and forth to try to negotiate some type of deal that includes Israel. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't be able at this time to slap the U.S. in the face like that and join and accept an invitation to BRICS, correct? Well, India is a, an ally of the United States and is a key partner in the BRICS. That's the I in the BRICS. Um, and but the, the I think there's something more fundamental in terms of the BRICS being an expression of the southern sphere, even though Russia is not geographically the southern. But they were talking about you know the have-nots versus the haves or right. um, in, the, fa- you know, the favorites that, against that's the underdogs. Solution, right. But uh, the, the Saudis don't want to be seen in that context. They don't, they're not looking to be seen as underdogs. They're, and they and you, he are two of the most powerful countries, given their wealth and the ability to spend prolifically. And uh, they are looking to protest their, protect their interests, like the negotiations with the United States, where what's the first thing they want? A defense treaty with the United States. They want the right to develop their own nuclear uh, program and with aid from the United States. I mean, they have a whole series of things, and then it was thrown into question of whether um, they can then establish diplomatic relations. They're contingent on on what happens with the uh, PA, right. and the PA, of course, keeps raising its demands. It wants hundreds of millions of dollars. It wants all sorts of concessions on other issues, which are, uh, you know, internal affairs in Israel, et cetera. Um, uh, the Saudis and the Saudi people don't care about them uh, largely. It's a symbolic issue. It's a sensitive matter, but it's not reflective of um, 
the you know the priorities that they set. So everybody's leveraging everything they can to their own interests. I hear that. Anything new with the UN schedule? We still assume that the Prime Minister of Israel will speak in the day or two after Rosh Hashanah. He's still scheduled to come right after Rosh Hashanah, and um, will hopefully uh, he will be here for may perhaps the whole week. And then go, go back for Yom Kippur in time for Yom Kippur. And with all the shuttle diplomacy going on, do you, do you think there'll be a Saudi deal of some type or some major announcement? Or I shouldn't be shocked if we go through the rest of the calendar year, and I mean the secular year, and there won't be anything significant announced. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I do think that there are, you know, stumbling blocks and difficult issues that have to be overcome, but it's certainly in Saudi Arabia's interest. You know, they don't want to be in the company, locked into the company of China and Russia. The, the Crown Prince, the um, uh, MBS has a, a, a long-term view, and he, he wants, which includes all sorts of development issues and other things that they, that he wants to break out of the, you know, the past in, image of, right. uh, you know, riding on camels in the, in the sand. It's an advanced country, and those who have seen it, as, you know, have the see the what, what is happening there and the development of Naum. Do you meet do you meet with any city. of them next week? Anybody from Saudi Arabia that you'll likely come across next week in New York when with the UN or or not? We'll have to see. We don't know yet even who's coming from uh, right. Saudi Arabia. I don't think MBS will come probably the foreign minister. Uh, but there aren't that many days because of uh, right. Rosh Hashanah. No, I get that. I'm just wondering if, if someone like yourself has an opportunity to meet with people like this, will get more insight into you know the answer to my question, whether this is inevitable. We or... have in the past. We have in the past had meetings, and we obviously talk to the ambassadors of these countries regularly right. and periodically with the foreign ministers. There will be a series of meetings with people like you know Erdogan and presidents of other countries uh, that are already set and many more will be as they finalize their travel arrangements. Yeah. I thought of you this morning, by the way, because uh, Harry Rothenberg, who does the Parshas HaShavua for us in the 7 o'clock hour on Friday, he was talking about the irony, I don't know if that's the right word, but the dichotomy or the pairing, whatever you want to call it, of this week's Parshios being called Nitzavim and Vayelech, one meaning, of course, stay still, and one <laughs> stand still, one meaning, you know, start acting, walk, Vayelech, and I was saying to myself, boy, that sounds like the balance that you've had for the last many, many decades, making a decision about when to take action and when to just, you know, keep quiet and not react to something. It's, it must, th- those are, I'm sure, are among the most difficult decisions you've had it's always a difficult decision and they and they come up just even in the last few days on sensitive issues and we always have considerations that we have to take into account even on this twitter thing by the way even on this twitter thing you sometimes don't know if it's better needs of him or vayela right but but you know what we 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 learned that silence is not the answer right it it, it, it's a question of of not being uh, jerks with needs and just reacting each time as our guts would tell us, we've got to think it through. For instance, you know, sometimes in Iran, we have a domestic Iranian Jewish population we have to worry about. We have other considerations that people don't think about unless you're really deep into the issues that, you know, wouldn't even come up to most people. And then they say, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. And the, you know, so you have to weigh it. And it doesn't mean it's always the right decision that is made. So we have to consult. We have to talk to, to Rabban. And we have to talk to experts. We have to talk to people who, who know and who can guide us in, in all, on each issue different, uh, uh, 
you know, assemblies of people that you would consult with, right. but nobody can assume that they know, or I, I, you know, I speak to the think tank people and you can have two of them, great experts, but completely on opposite sides of the same issue. So you have to weigh the information and make decisions based upon what, what will protect the interests that and, you are and usually, and usually the more information you have, the more one is conflicted. <laughs> the more, and more confused that we yeah, are. It's so unbelievable and so true. All right, we will speak to you, please God, next week on our uh, anniversary celebration, obviously next Friday for the final weekly update of this year. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us have this morning. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, 657 candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 657 in New York for this final Shabbos of 5783. Tough Shin Pei Gimel. tomorrow night, Sunday morning. You know how it goes with the Ashkenazi community. Next Thursday, we celebrate our 40th anniversary. This coming Thursday, we celebrate our 40th anniversary. Thank you to Mark Zomik and company, meaning our entire staff and volunteers. Thank you, of course, to... Uh, to the um, to L-E-Y Katz, everybody here in Teaneck, uh, Yaakov and everybody at Poppy's across the street on West Englewood Avenue. That's where the celebration will be Thursday morning. Come join us. Looking forward to celebrating. Hard to believe that I started 40 years ago on Erev Rosh Hashanah. J.M. in the A.M. Uh, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden. Spiritual Leader Emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Wow. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the two parashios of Nitzavim and Vayelech. According to the Chinuch, with parashas Vayelech, which has the last two mitzvahs of the Torah, 612, the mitzvah of Hakel, of gathering the entire nation on for the mitzvah of Hakel, on the Cholamoid um, Sukkot of following the Shemitah year, and the last mitzvah of Kisvu Lachem Esashira Hazos, that each and every Jew should have, as the Rush says, a Jewish library, but ideally we should aspire to write a Sefer Torah that will truly be ours. Kisvu Lochem, and just as Ulakachtem Lochem, that we will, please God, observe in the forthcoming Yom Tov of Sukkos, we should aspire to be able to write, i.e. commission the writing of a Sefer Torah for the proliferation of Torah and the idea of studying Torah. I'd like to focus this morning on the first 10 psukim of chapter 30 in Pashas Nitzavim. In the beginning of Pashas Nitzavim, we have the bris that Moshe enters the Jewish people at uh, Arvos Moab as they are about to enter the land of Israel. There is a bris of 
nervous abyss of responsibility one for another, which went into effect once they crossed the Yaritain. But specifically, the first ten psukim of chapter 30, and please, if you bring the Chumash to the table, you'll see the inside, the excitement of these psukim. The chapter begins, and it shall be, when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse that the Jewish people have experienced throughout Jewish history. Then the Torah tells us, You will take it upon your heart, wherever you are, among all the nations that Hashem has dispersed you. And then, chapter 30, Pasuk 2, this should be the discussion at your table tonight. And the Torah says, you will return to Hashem. Is this a command? Is this a prophecy? A prediction? And that is a machlokas. I mentioned before that there are two mitzvahs in Vayelech, which brings us to the number 613. That's according to the Rambam, because the Chinuch follows the count of the Rambam. The Ramban, Nachmanides, learns this pasuk here as a mitzvah. Ki mitzvah zos, as the pasuk continues with verse 11, which mitzvah are we talking about? The mitzvah of tshuva. So according to the Chinuch, there's a, I'm sorry, the Ramban and Rabbeinu Yonah, there's a biblical mitzvah to do tshuva. And the Torah is commanding us, Vishavta, and you will return. The Ramban, the Ramban, excuse me, in chapter 7 of Hilchos Tshuva, Halacha Hei, the Rambam says beautifully that all the prophets have commanded and spoken about Tshuva, the Ein Yisrael Negolin Elabitshuva, and the ultimate redemption will only come about, says the Rambam, with repentance from the Jewish people, unless anybody say, oy, 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 can't even say the words, that's not going to happen, listen to the Rambam, Ukvar hifticha Torah, the Torah promises, how strong is that word, correct, Ukvar hifticha Torah, the Torah promises, Shesof Yisrael lasos tshuva, that the Jewish people in the end will do tshuva, besof galusan, at the end of their exile, umiyad hein nigolim, and immediately thereafter they will be redeemed. Now, I don't have to tell you how privileged we are, literally, pinch yourselves, even at the Shabbos table. You don't have to pinch yourself hard, just pinch yourself and realize how privileged we are to be living in times that we can see the stirring of these psukim coming to life. 
the tshuva movement in Eretz Yisrael and throughout the world. And listen to these psukim. V'shavto ar Hashem You will return to Hashem and you will listen to Him and you, your children. And what's going to happen? Verse 3. V'shav Hashem Hashem will reciprocate in kind. Shuvu we take the first step, a baby step, and he is going to reciprocate in time. Hashem is going to bring you back your captivity. He will have mercy on you. He will return and gather you in from all the peoples to which Hashem, your God, has scattered you. I was in Eretz Yisrael a few years ago, and I was walking back from the hotel. I stopped on the steps going up, and I stopped a woman and I said, Shabbat Shalom, because it was Friday night. And I said, where are you from? And she looked at me and said, Brazil. That's it. She made my shamis. These are the psukim coming to life in our day. And the Torah goes on to say, If you are dispersed, will be at the end of the heavens, Misham from there, Yekabetzcha, Hashem will gather you, and Pasuk 5, and He's going to bring you back. Bliayin Harat today, over 6 million Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. Even the trains are excited about this. Now watch. And what's going to happen? Hashem is going to circumcise our hearts. Pasuk 6. And He's going to um, replace. He's going to give our enemies all the punishment that's due them again. After He's brought us back. And you will come on once again return to Hashem and He is going to give us abundant uh, produce, blessings, etc. Ki once again, Ki all this written in the Psukim after we've come back. What is the tshuva that the Torah is speaking about after you return to Israel? We've already returned beforehand. What brought us here in the first place? There were stirrings of being part of our people, stirrings to be part of our Torah. So what is going on with this leader and you shall return? So there is a wonderful sefer entitled Eim Habonim Semecha by Rav Tachtail, who um, during after the Shoah wrote very clearly that unfortunately Am Yisrael has neglected uh, our homeland and our desire to come home had only many more listened to him we wouldn't have some of the problems that we're having today but there's no question about it that his Sefer, from cover to cover, talks about the centrality of Eretz Yisrael. And I'd like to, as we are 
approaching Rosh Hashanah rapidly. Now, number one, as I mentioned that, it's not too early to start thinking. Those who will be privileged to be in Eretz Yisrael, excuse me, I wish to be in Shul, to hear Rosh Hashanah, the shofar on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we don't blow on the first day because it's Shabbos, but those who will be in Shul, wonderful. But if you know already that somebody will not be able to make it, be it in a nursing home, a senior citizen facility, be it for whatever reason, they're not going to start making the arrangements now that somebody will be able to come to the home, if possible, to blow chauffeur for them. Now, let's continue with this wonderful theme. The Ramban, at the end of chapter 18 in the book of Vayikra, Pasuk 25, where the Torah speaks about the land not being able to tolerate immorality at the end towards the end of the very of a long Ramban not long enough approximately two-thirds in says the Ramban that which we say in our Shema every day in the second paragraph that if we're not going to listen to the Torah you will quickly be lost and expelled from your land. So listen to the Ramban who quotes the Sifrei, that even though Hashem says, I am forced to bring you out of the land, to Chutz Oretz, you are to continue and you are to still be outstanding in your mitzvot. Why? I couldn't say this. So that when you come back, unbelievable. It shouldn't be new to you when you come back. You know what tefillin is. You know what mezuzah is. Unbelievable. And he gives a mushal to a husband who unfortunately is upset with his wife, sends her back to father's home, but says to her, listen, and hopefully he still says, Bubi, listen, continue to put on your makeup. Why? Because when you come back, it shouldn't be new to you. You are preparing for it. And unbelievable. We take our mitzvahs very seriously, but the Ramban is saying, that those of us who are still here living outside of Eretz Yisrael, the best is yet to come. The fulfillment of the mitzvot is on a higher level in Eretz Yisrael. And I'm going to show you something very fascinating. The fulfillment of mitzvot, which mitzvot? And I want to say all, including the mitzvah of tshuva. There's a mitzvah of tshuva outside of Eretz Yisrael and a mitzvah of tshuva in Eretz Yisrael. And part of the mitzvah of tshuva in Eretz Yisrael is that outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's a personal tshuva that each and every one of us does. 
in Eretz Yisrael where we all come back, woe, which means that in Melech below Am, there's a God and a king needs a people. The more people we have, the more honor it is. It's a different kind of tshuva. And that's why you have in the psukim, right in front of you in chapter 30, there's going to be the shapto, the return outside, and then the return after you come to Eretz Israel. And take a look, my friends, in every Shemona Esrei that we're going to recite on Rosh Hashanah. So you have in the third bracha, beginning at Kadosh, the Shimcha Kadosh, and before we end the bracha, bracha to Hashem, the Melech Kadosh, we have the three Uvechains, Uvechain Tein Pachtacha, take a look in the Marzor, Uvechain Tein Kavod, Uvechain Sadikim, and then, listen carefully, we have, according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, in this third bracha, Bracha to Hashem and Melech HaKadosh, we have Malchios. Listen to the Malchios which we are to aspire to on Rosh Hashanah. V'simlocha to Hashem Levadecha. Hashem, you will reign alone. Alkoma secha over all your works. Where? B'hartzio mishkan kvodecha on Mount Sion. U'birushalayim irkotshecha and in Yerushalayim, your holy city. Part of our davening has to be, Hashem, we want to go home. We need to go home. Help us go home. And as, even if, as long as we are taking that first step, Bishavta, there's to be a stirring, there's to be a realization that it's not, Eretz Yisrael is a nice place to visit. No. Eretz Yisrael is home, and part of tshuva has to be, in a very literal sense, that we are to return. Rav Kook says tshuva means to return to yourself. It certainly means to return to our roots, and Baruch Hashem, our roots on the land of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, that Hashem says to Avram, to your children, to your progeny. Pinch yourself, because that's who you are. You say it every day, in every Shemona Esri. Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. What's the prophet called? Avos. We're very proud of who our Avos are. We want, and we have to aspire to return for ourselves, for our children, and for our ultimate tshuva. Shabbat Shalom to all. Oh, baby.
Shire 
Shayam in the AM with Sandy Shmueli, that's Mim Komcha. That's Sandy. Jam in the AM, good morning, everybody. Don't forget our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman has the most amazing and incredible delicacies and delicious meat items. Go to kosherdogs.net. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about again. Go to kosherdogs.net. Take a 10% discount with promo code radio. Our suggestions are some of the items we recently got from A&H, including the delicious, so many different, different varieties of hot dogs, the incredible knockwurst. Got plenty of that for Monday night, When assuming we actually get the game on our system. We're Spectrum subscribers, so I don't know if we'll be seeing the game Monday night. Um, uh, the Beef Kishka, which is going to be part of the Siegel menu this coming Shabbos. And that's what I was informed by the great Stacey Siegel. Uh, beef Kishka. What was, oh, and of course, the regular salami is just amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Aaron Goldman. For making sure last week's kiddish had the A and H salami, I think it's I think it's just delicious and incredible meat. Anyway, kosherdogs.net, ten percent discount. Try A and H today. You'll be glad you did, and that is an understatement. Sfarta community has the um, has the uh, has slicha since Rosh Chodesh Elul. Us in the Ashkenazi community, we are going to uh, start slichas tomorrow night, early Sunday morning, and uh, those of you out there who are. Uh, going to be heading to different Slichos services to be inspired, enjoy, make the most of it, to say the least. Here's a selection you might hear from somebody. Shmakolenu uh, time during Slichos. It's Dvekis here at JM in the AM.
Amazing Eitan Katz. Boy, can he get you into the mood for this time of year, huh? <laughs> Pretty amazing. JM and the AM, time to say good Shabbos with our friends at Journeys, of course, at JM and the AM. Reminder, coming up at 10 a.m., it's Mark Zomik in the Air of Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's 10 o'clock this morning right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. It's a very 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, web at on the Nachumsegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and a great week here at JMNAM. We have another week to go before the end of the year. Join us, of course. Next week, Thursday, our big celebration from Poppies will commemorate 40 years of JM and the AM. I started Erev uh, Rosh Hashanah in 1983. Hard to believe it is four decades later. Looking forward to celebrating with everybody. Uh, don't forget, Kedem presents the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek at 10 a.m. Eastern time. The uh, entire day of our Erev Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem. And, of course, the final hour at 6 p.m. as well. Uh, that'll be coming up here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night with Ariel Yezers Wickler. Sunday, it's Matis. Final JM Sunday for 5783. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend, and of course, be inspired by Slichos tomorrow night and Sunday morning and all through the next couple of weeks. Until uh, next week, it's Nahum Siegel reminding you remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.